Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from Horizon West Church. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at horizonwestchurch.com. And if you're in the Horizon West area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now enjoy this podcast from Horizon West Church. Well, good morning and welcome again to Horizon West Church Online. Uh, my name is Chris. I get to serve as campus pastor for our Horizon West Church campus. And I just want to say welcome to you. Uh, welcome to my family uh, who's watching in their living room and to all of our families. And uh, as you can tell, we did this last week. We're doing it again this week. Um, I'm coming to you from an empty auditorium. You can see a lot of empty seats behind me. And there's a reason we're doing that. Uh, the reason is this. We want to remind you Uh, that though the church is not seated together on this Sunday, uh, we have still been sent together by Jesus to be on mission. Pastor David said uh, a while ago, I think it was many years ago now, and I remember distinctly him saying this. He said, we don't want to be a church that merely seats people. We want to be a church that sends people. And we are sent. And I'm excited to tell you that I'm getting word of individuals that are connected to our campus who are taking the gospel to people like never before. In fact, I want to share, you, share with you a few of those stories. Uh, we heard from one woman who's uh, writing to a, uh, a nephew, a family member who's incarcerated, and back and forth sharing the gospel, sowing into his life. Uh, we, we heard from another who works with young athletes, and he's had the opportunity in these last few weeks to share the gospel and to have spiritual conversations with nine different young athletes that he's connected with. Another one of our folks has had multiple co-workers come up to him. He's still working on site, and they've come up, and they've struck up conversation with him that he's been able to turn to spiritual conversation, and they're letting us know this, that the gospel's advancing even as we are not together on Sunday mornings physically. You know, this is all mission. This is what the church is called to do. And by the way, we want to know how you're on mission We talked last week, and if you're a Horizon West Church member, you know the last several weeks uh, about this gospel conversation wall, a vision we believe Jesus gave us to have a thousand gospel conversations this calendar year 2020. And I believe this season that we're in, we're going to see several of these pins come off the wall and these pins representing conversations that we've had with folks pointing them to Jesus. And so we want to know if that's you. If you've had opportunity to share the good news of Jesus with somebody, if you've had opportunity to pray with someone or to, to share your testimony with someone, we'd love for you to let us know. Uh, you can send a message at horizonwestchurch.com slash share. I think that's on the lower third beneath me, horizonwestchurch.com slash share. Let us know about conversations you're having, and we'd love to celebrate that with you so that when we come back together in person, we can see many of those pins removed, and we can see that vision is moving forward. Well, this morning, mission is what we're talking about. It's the second essential that we're going to look at. And what I want to do with you is simply answer two questions this morning. The first question is going to be this, what is the mission of the church? And the second question is going to be, how does the church accomplish its mission? And to get there, I want to take you first to Matthew chapter 28. We're going to start at verse 16. I encourage you to read along with me. Matthew 28, verse 16. This is what it says. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Our mission, friends, is to make disciples. Uh, Let me put that in modern terms. Our, Our job is to lead people to place their faith in Christ alone for salvation and then to begin to experience the the fruit of salvation and to produce that fruit in their lives. The way we say this at First Orlando, our John Young and Horizon West campus, we say that our mission is to follow Jesus and to lead others to do the same. And you know, for about 1,700 years after Jesus was on the earth, that was the unquestioned mission of the church. Now, it wasn't always practiced real well, But basically, it was understood that if you were part of the church, your mission was to lead people to saving faith in Jesus, that that no other faith, that no other belief system, that no other person could save but Jesus alone. But I want to tell you something that's been a little bit alarming to me. I came across a study this week of a 2019 Barna survey. And they were interviewing the different generations about faith, beliefs, and practices. And these were practicing Christians, people who identified as believers in Christ alone, who who believed in the word of God and who prayed regularly and attended churches. And did you know that among millennials, those born sometime between 1981 and about 1996, when they they asked or or they said this statement and they asked millennials to, to, to tell whether they strongly agreed, somewhat agreed, strongly disagreed, or somewhat disagreed. This was the statement. It is wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in hopes that they will one day share the same faith. Okay, that, that was the statement that these individuals were asked. And then they were asked, do you strongly agree, strongly disagree, or somewhere in the middle of all of that? Friends, 47% of practicing Christian millennials at least somewhat agreed that it was wrong to share their faith with somebody of another faith system. That's almost half. These are practicing Christians. And the reason maybe that this is alarming to me is I am one. I am a millennial. I was born in 1982. I'm on the older end of that spectrum. But, but we have been immersed as a generation, and those coming behind us are in the same camp and even more so. We've been immersed with this idea that to share our beliefs with somebody uh, is actually not right. What for 1,700 years or so was believed and taken for granted that that's the mission of the church, we now have a large number of believers, Christians, followers of Jesus saying, I'm not sure if that is in fact right. Well, there's a reason for this. I think the short answer is, is what we would call religious pluralism. Uh, pluralism is the idea that, that all beliefs are the same and, and, and that there's different ways to, to God. And the Enlightenment kind of brought in this idea that, that you, know, you can't really say your idea is right and my idea is wrong. And, and over time, being immersed in religious pluralism, we now have Christians who are questioning whether or not they should actually share their faith. Why am I talking about this? Here, here's why. Because this issue, I believe, has major implications on the mission of the church. See, in previous generations, uh, we also probably were not great. So Gen X, baby boomers, uh, all of you, you know, you're all not off the hook. A few generations recently have been really great about mission or, or sharing the gospel of Jesus with other people. But in previous generations, uh, the basic sense was, uh, I lack confidence in my ability to share my faith. And so our answer as a church was to 
educate more. We, we had adult education pastors, and we, we had Sunday school curriculum that helped train people how to share their faith. And then we had things like the four spiritual laws or evangelism explosion. And we thought, man, if we can just show people how to share their faith, if we can give them confidence in their ability to share their faith, then they will, in fact, go out and share their faith. There were some mixed results there, but I can tell you that it's different for the current generations. Where previous generations said we lack the confidence in sharing our our faith, current generations are actually lacking confidence in the morality of sharing their faith. In fact, the vast majority of Christians have close friends under, uh, close friends who are members of other religions, close friends who are atheists, close friends who believe something radically different than what they believe. And the impact of religious pluralism has been accentuated by the fact of relational proximity. So don't get lost here. Stay with me. Religious pluralism, this idea that, man, now because of travel and because of information and and because of the advancement of technology, we're exposed to so many ideas and we're, we're educated and taught to believe that all those ideas are the same and you can't choose one over the others. Religious pluralism. And then it's accentuated by relational proximity. I now have friends and family members who who believe things that are radically different. And I love these people. Most of you, if you're under the age of 40, you do have friends and family members and people you're close with who believe radically different things than you. It's probably true no matter what your age is actually in today's world. Religious pluralism, relational proximity. But here's the good news. That's a huge challenge, right? It's a huge challenge, but it's also our great opportunity. Relational proximity to lost people, relational proximity to people who believe differently than me is the great opportunity for the church as it relates to mission. Here's what we have to do. We have to go back to Matthew chapter 28 and we have to recover the middle verse. You know, middle things often get overlooked. I grew up as the middle child of seven Girl at the oldest end, girl at the youngest end, five boys in between, and I was literally smack dab in the middle, fourth out of seven. And I can tell you there was probably more than one or two times where I waited outside of the baseball field because somebody forgot to pick me up. Not throwing my parents under the bus, but it happens. When you're a middle child, you just know how that goes. And sometimes it's easy to look, overlook what's in the middle. If we go back to Matthew chapter 28, here, here's what we find in the middle of that passage, Matthew 28, verse 18. Look at this with me. Jesus came and said to them, the disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's the middle of those five verses. Why does that matter? Well, here's why it matters. Because of the authority of Jesus, we can have confidence in the morality of sharing our faith. And here's why. If Jesus said, some authority has been given to me, or, hey, I am a way to the Father, then perhaps it would be wrong to try to force that way or that authority on other people. But Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said all authority in heaven and on earth, in all the universe, is possessed in me. So I would make the case that it's morally right to tell those who don't know Jesus, who have not bent the knee to him, who have not surrendered their life to Christ, to say, look, if you are going to be saved, if you're going to be in relationship with the Father, he is the way. John 14, 6 makes it so clear. All authority in heaven and on earth is in Jesus. Therefore, we must point people to him. 
if I were drowning and somebody threw me a, a life preserver and it was the only way for me to be saved, I'm not going to argue about the shape or the color of the thing saving me. I'm just going to grab hold of it. And friends, we don't need to get lost in religious debates and theological conversations. We can just simply say, look, there is only one way to salvation. His name is Jesus and throw the life preserver to those who are lost. Not only can we have confidence in the morality of sharing our faith, but this verse is also why we can have confidence in our ability to share our faith. See, because if, if all authority has been given to Jesus and Jesus has commissioned us, which he has to be on mission for him, then we are going with the power of God in us and with us. This is what Jesus said to the disciples in Matthew chapter 10. He says, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you're to speak or what you're to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour, because it's not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. In other words, yes, get educated. Yes, know what you believe. Yes, it, it may be good to take a course or a class, but at the end of the day, friends, you can share your faith. You can make disciples with confidence because the one who possesses all authority is going to give you the words to say and he is going to go with you. See, I believe that the authority of Jesus and our recognition of his authority throughout the universe and at work in us is the fuel that drives our mission, the authority of Jesus. So that's what our mission is. Uh, that, that's what it is, is to make disciples, to tell people about Jesus, to lead them to him. The second question is massively important. The second question is this, how does the church fulfill its mission? So for that, I want to take you to Acts chapter 1, and we're going to read together verses 4 through 8. Jesus again with the disciples. Here's what he says. And while Jesus was staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. There's that word again. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now this passage, we don't know if it comes before or, Matthew, uh, before or after Matthew 28. It's kind of like parallel passages, but we know they're at different times because Jesus is saying different things. Um, Pastor David believes Matthew 28 comes before Acts 1, so we're just going to go with that, right? So just uh, imagine that this is probably after Jesus has commissioned the disciples in Matthew chapter 28. And I want to draw your attention to a very, very important word that we find in verse 4 of Acts chapter 1. Now, if you're a disciple, you, you know, Jesus has commissioned you. He said, go throughout the whole world and make disciples. You know you've been given the most important, and by the way, the most urgent mission that's ever been given to anyone. We might ask the question, what's our first move? What's the thing we do first? And if we're thinking like most modern people, we're probably thinking, well, what we need to do is we need to build a really big version of the temple but, but rather than making it about, you know, animal sacrifices, we'll make it about Jesus. We'll, we'll build a temple for Jesus. It's not what Jesus told him to do. 
Or you might say, you know what, we'll, we'll collect a whole bunch of money um, so that we can kind of put it in this missions pot and so that we can, you know, flood and, and, then, and then we got all this so we can go and we can send people and we can resource and we can accomplish the mission that way. That's not what Jesus told them to do first. Or maybe you're a strategic thinker and you'd grab a map and you'd map out the world. I mean, Jesus said, go to all nations. So you're going, okay, Peter, you're going to go here. And Thomas, you're going to go there. And, and, and John, you're going to go down here. We'll map it out and we'll strategize. It's not what Jesus told them to do. What Jesus told the disciples to do first, having just given them the most important mission in the history of the world. Look again, you see it in verse four. And I would encourage you to circle or underline this. Jesus said, wait. You go, wait? <laughs> wait? What, what do you mean? You, you've spent three years with us, Jesus. You've, you've told us to go. You've given us our mission. We're, we're smart guys. We can figure this out. Let's just go. Let's just get this done. But Jesus says, no, no, no. The first thing that you need to do is wait. Here's the first how-to that we accomplish our mission. We wait on the Holy Spirit. We wait on the Holy Spirit. Now, in one sense, this was fulfilled in the very next chapter, Acts chapter 2. We're going to get there in a few weeks, but we know what happened in Acts chapter 2 is something called Pentecost, where Jesus pours out the Holy Spirit on the disciples, and they start speaking in different languages, and 3,000 people get saved. It's this incredible thing that happens. And so in one sense, this waiting is fulfilled then. But there's another very real sense in which it's the duty of every Christian to wait on the Holy Spirit before they go for Jesus. Uh, I'll give you some examples, some guys you may have heard of before. There was a guy named Moses, and he'd been given a pretty important mission in Exodus. He was to lead the people of God out of slavery in Egypt and into the promised land. And in Exodus chapter 33, Moses is kind of negotiating with God about this mission, and he says something very interesting. Listen to what he says in Exodus 33 and verse 15. He says, Lord, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. See, Moses understood this principle. Before I can fulfill the mission that God has given me, I need to stop. I need to slow down. I need to make sure that I'm tuned in to the program of God. I need to make sure that, that my thoughts and my actions and my behavior and my attitude and yes, even my motivations are coming from the Holy Spirit's power within me and not my own best thinking, best practices and strategies. Moses understood that. Uh, let me give you another name you might have heard of, a guy named Martin Luther the great reformer in the 1500s, he's quoted as having said, I have so much to do every day that I must spend three hours every morning in prayer. Now that's a lot of time, and I'll admit that I do not spend three hours in prayer every morning. But Martin Luther understood this concept. Intelligence and academics and vision and all of these things were great, but it was the power of the Holy Spirit that fueled the mission of the church. This is why Jesus said something to the disciples in John chapter 15, verses 4 and 5. This is exactly what he's talking about. Follow with me here. He says, Disciples, abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. This is Jesus talking to the disciples, one of, one of the last uh, messages that he gives him before the crucifixion. He says, guys, 
the, the sum total of your works and you're smart guys and you've been trained by me and you could go out and do a lot of things, but the sum total of all that you do, if it's not me doing it, here's the word I'm going to use for that. Jesus says, it accounts for nothing. Not a zilch. Not, not a single thing can be accomplished in the spiritual realm, in the kingdom realm, if we're acting out of the flesh and not out of the spirit. And I believe this is such a pertinent word for the church today. In fact, I wonder if this present crisis that we are in and that we find ourselves in is maybe a way that God is reminding us of this truth. That, that is not the size of our buildings or how filled they are. It's not the size of our budgets. It's, it's not the, the, the strength of our strategies. It's sole reliance on the Holy Spirit to do his work. Once we get into that place, once we adopt that posture of waiting on the Holy Spirit, we're ready then for the second directive, but only if we start there with waiting on the Holy Spirit. Here's the second directive that Jesus gives in Acts chapter 1. After waiting on the Holy Spirit, our next job is to witness to people about Jesus. I want to reread for you Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Let's go there again. You'll receive power, that, that word is dunamis, in the Greek, when you, uh, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Several years ago, I was uh, on a summer break from college. I was 21 years old and I got something in the mail that, that everyone dreads getting. Many of us have gotten it before. It wasn't a bill. It was a jury summons. Uh, I'd be curious, just leave us a note in the comments. Have you ever been summoned to serve on a jury? Okay, so this was my first opportunity to do that 17 years ago. And so I'm sitting, I get, I get chosen and, and I get placed on the, on the jury, a panel of 12. And as we're getting ready to have to deliver the verdict, we had to choose a foreman. And, and one of the older gentlemen in the room says, well, I think that this young man here, and he points to me, he says, I think this young man should be the foreman. I'm like, thanks a lot. But, but that experience put me into a courtroom scene. There's a reason I'm telling you this. In a courtroom, uh, there's a lot of different people ha- who have different jobs. You know, uh, one job is the prosecutor. The prosecutor's job is to gather information and make a case against the individual who's on trial. Our job as the jury was to evaluate that evidence and render a verdict. The job of the judge is to take the verdict of the jury and then determine the severity of the sentence. And all those things played out. But there was another group of people that came into the courtroom different times and on different days. And their job was simply to tell what they had seen or heard. They were called witnesses. A witness simply says, this is what I saw. This is what I heard. And they tell their story. I just happen to think that the church has gotten off its mission in part because we've forgotten what our job really is. Our job isn't to collect evidence against people. By the way, Jesus said in John 3, 17 that even the Son of Man didn't come into the world to condemn the world, to make a case against the world, but rather to save or to deliver the world. Our our job isn't to render a verdict on people. Our job isn't to determine the severity of sentence on people. In fact, the Bible warns against all of those things. Our job is to be the witnesses. Our job is to tell what we've seen and what we've heard. And by the way, It's impossible to be a witness if you haven't personally experienced the things you're talking about. See, you you can't just present facts like, oh, I, I, I know in the Bible it says this. Salvation comes through a personal experience of surrendering our lives to Christ. 
And once we have experienced Jesus and the fullness of the gospel, we then have something to tell. We have a thing to say we've seen and that we've heard. This is why, and we're not going to take the time to go there, but in 1 John chapter 1 and 2 Peter chapter 1, these are two of the great disciples of Jesus, Peter and John. And both of them say over and over again, we were eyewitnesses of the things we're telling you about. We, we touched it. We saw it. We heard it. We're not following cleverly invented stories. That's how Peter says it. He says, we experienced these things, guys. We were there with Jesus. We saw it. We experienced it. And we're verifying that it's true. And church, I just think we need to recover our role as witnesses to the truth of the gospel. That yes, we know it to be true here because we've heard it from a reliable source, but also we've experienced the resurrection power of Jesus in our own lives. See, I believe the good news of Jesus exploded onto the scene in the first century because the apostles in the early, early church remembered and recognized that their job was simply to be witnesses. Witnesses to people about Jesus. And let me show you, there was some strategy in how Jesus even plays this out. He doesn't just say, hey, just kind of go be witnesses. Remember Matthew 28, he says, go into all nations. Well, they didn't just like put on a blindfold and spin in circles and then just go, right? Like there was, there was strategy to it. This was the strategy that Jesus gave them. He says, start out in Jerusalem, then go to all Judea and Samaria. That's a little further out. And then go to the ends of the earth. We might think about this as concentric circles, I think we have a slide here. Yeah, we got the slide right here. Uh, So concentric circles, you you know what this is. It kind of looks like a target. What Jesus is saying is, is start where you are right now. Like start what's closest to you, Jerusalem. And then from there, go out. And then from there, go out. And eventually, you're going to get to the ends of the earth. See, I think this COVID-19 experience, this global pandemic, has given us a unique opportunity to recover the strategy that Jesus gave us in the first place. Because see, some of us were spending so much time like, like on the outskirts of these concentric circles and we're like, oh, we got to reach the world and we got to tell everybody. But we were overlooking the closest places to us. I hate to say it, but sometimes my witness is stronger outside of my home than inside of it. There's a word for that. It's called hypocrite, <laughs> right? Like, when, when I'm all caught up in, man, I'm going to be a witness to Jesus and we're going to go take the world and we're going to be on mission And yet, my example within my own family, my leadership in my own home lacks its hypocrisy. I think Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going to close everything down. I'm going to bring you back into your house. You're going to be around your roommates. You're going to be around your spouse, your kids. You're going to be immersed in this experience. Take the opportunity to be a witness for Jesus there first. Oh, and then from there, maybe, maybe we can branch out and maybe we're seeing our neighbors more even than we normally do. I don't know about where you live, but where I live, people typically pull up to their homes, get out of their car. In about five seconds, they're in their house. They close and lock the door and they go on with their day. And there's very little exchange and relationship between us. But now we're going on family walks or we're riding bikes and we're seeing neighbors and we're observing the six feet distant rule, but we're talking Did you know that most of the gospel conversations I've had in the last few weeks have been with my neighbors? Opportunities to just talk with them, just engage with them, just ask them how they're doing, how can I pray for you, invite them to join us on the live stream, have spiritual conversation. And see, this is something I was probably too much overlooking before, but the Lord has brought us back to go and start with your family, go to your neighbors, then from there, go to your coworkers, your friends, go out from there, go to strangers, but don't skip 
those first steps. It's super important. See, Jesus has given us the plan. We don't necessarily need to go and create our own. He's, he's given us one. And we need to just implement this plan. A, a youth pastor that I had years ago uh, told me this, and, and I think it was not original with him, but he said, Chris, failing to plan is planning to fail. This should be my life mantra, because y'all, I got to be honest, especially when I was younger, I was one of those people that really flew by the seat of my pants. It was like, hey, we're just going to kind of see what today holds, and we're just going to go. I've gotten better. I've grown in that. I've learned to set goals. I've learned to go after things. But plan is important. I'm not saying plan is not important. I'm saying plan is important, but it's important that we're implementing Christ's plan and not our own. So, so here's a plan I want to give you, and we're going to close with these two concepts. First, I want to give you a witnessing plan. Remember, part of the, the, the way that we accomplish mission is by being a witness to people about Jesus. Uh, let's bring that concentric circles back up for just a second. So, so what I want to encourage you to do, and you can even do this right now or maybe come back and watch the tail end of the message later on, but I want to encourage you to write down names in all of these circles of people that you know don't know Jesus, people that have not yet surrendered or submitted their lives to Christ. And you can just jot down their names, and then once you've got that list, neighbors, family members, coworkers, friends, I want to encourage you to then go through and choose three to five individuals that you go, you know what? these three to five individuals, I think God's given me unique opportunity and unique relationship with. And, and I want to leverage that to take the good news of Jesus with them, to help them become disciples of Christ. And once you get that list of three to five, then you can just start to be real intentional, praying for those individuals, texting them encouragement, inviting them to join the stream with us. Or when we get back in person, inviting them to join us on a Sunday morning at church. I mean, it is intentionality and, and, and sowing into the lives of these people. That's what we need as a witnessing plan. But you also need a waiting plan. <laughs> because waiting isn't idle. Waiting isn't just sitting on our hands and going, well, unless you know, God writes it in the sky, which by the way, here in Orlando, sometimes there are messages in the sky. We have a sky writer who, who will write things. It's really cool. But we don't need to wait for God to like, write it on the wall or write it in the sky. Waiting in this context means stopping long enough to rest, to pray, to be quiet before, before God, and to hear from him. And, and if you don't have a plan for that, guess what? It's not going to happen. We have so many distractions. We have so many voices. We have so many opinions. We need to hear from Jesus. My waiting plan involves having a specific time and a specific place where I go to meet with the Lord. Now, these aren't the only times I ever connect with God. This isn't the only time I ever pray. But I have a plan that at least several times a week, I try to get up before 7.30, before my kids are up, and I go to the back porch, and I open up my Bible, and I ask the Lord to speak with me. And sometimes I'll read a chapter, and sometimes I'll just pray for people, or sometimes I'll just be quiet, and I'll hear the birds chirping and see the sunrise, and I'll just say, Lord, would you speak to me? I'm here waiting on you. And I find when I do that, guys, man, that I am more on mission during the remainder of that day. That, that, that I'm looking for opportunities to be a witness because I first waited on the power of the Holy Spirit to come. I want to close with an opportunity that's going to come our way in just about a week, eight days actually. God's put it in my heart and, and I think together with our John Young campus, we're going to do this. But man, we, we just have a vision to, to come together in prayer, not physically, but to gather our hearts, our minds in prayer. And we're doing something next, starting next Monday 
And, and the whole premise of it, the whole idea is basically that collectively we're going to draw near to God for seven days. Each of those seven days, we're going to give you very specific things to, to be praying through. We're going to give you scripture to read and other scripture that you can pray through. Praying for our nation, praying for those who are sick, praying for those who are experiencing economic hardship, praying that the church would wake up and be revived. And we're going to together, May 4th through the 10th, we're going to just storm heaven together and seek God together because we know the mission God has given us is too important not to take seriously. And we know that we cannot accomplish the mission unless we first seek him. And so I'm going to ask that you stay tuned. Probably sometime this week, you're going to see on our social media or maybe over uh, email, you're going to see information coming out about this. And then next Sunday is really going to be our, our call to action. We're going to say, hey, join us tomorrow. That's going to be next Monday, May 8th, or, or May 4th rather, as we seek God and we seek the heart of God for seven specific and focused days. So here's what I want to do. I want to close with this and we're, the band's going to lead us in one closing worship song. But I want to close with this. Later in Acts chapter 1, we know that the disciples were gathered together in prayer. And the very next thing that happens is that the Holy Spirit shows up. And I don't know how you need the Holy Spirit to show up for you. I, I know that it's about mission, but there's other ways that we need the Holy Spirit to show up for us. I, I could take the next 10 minutes to talk about all the phone calls and the texts and the emails that are going back and forth between me and people in our church who are struggling, who are hurting, who are walking through the valley of the shadow of death and desperately need to wait on the Lord and desperately need the Holy Spirit to show up for them. And so I want to close by us just getting quiet. I know you're in your home probably and maybe the kids are playing. That's okay. You don't need to get onto them. But would you, right where you're at, in your heart of hearts, would you just get to a quiet place? And can we wait together for about 30 seconds and just say, Lord, we're waiting on you. We want to hear from you. We, we want to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can go on mission. And after we've gotten quiet together for 30 seconds or so, I'm going to voice a prayer. Would you pray with me? God, may this quiet, without even music, without any noise of any kind, would that quiet remind us that our strength is not in ourselves, but our strength is in you. God, that unless you show up, like Moses said, unless you go with us, we don't even want to go. We can't do anything without you. And yet we also know, just like Jesus, you told the disciples in John 15, that once we are in sync with you, once we're in step with the Holy Spirit, once we're allowing your program and your plan to drive us, that God, we can do all kinds of things. We can bear so much fruit for the gospel. God, that's our desire. I do pray for those who Maybe the distraction or the, or the hindrance is, is a very real need in their life, a very real tragedy they're walking through. And God, would you administer grace? Would you administer healing? Would you administer hope? And God, would you link us together in such a way that the world would know that we have a mission to save, that we have a God who loves and came to save them. And God, would you make us faithful to that mission in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Horizon West Church Podcast. If you were inspired or encouraged by something you heard today, share it with a friend. For more information like our service time, location, and other info, be sure to visit us online at horizonwestchurch.com. Have a great week.